Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Sibling rivalries. They can get crazy. Anyone have siblings in here? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you feel me? Like, it's almost like when siblings start to fight, you want to take 10 steps back and not say a word. I had, uh, so there's 13 in our family, um, youngest of 13, and I, I, before, like, foster family, I remember some fights. I remember some fights that I got into. Um, I still have a scar in the back of my head from one sibling fight, which I definitely lost. <laughs> but, like, dude, they can get crazy, right? You know, you know what? The family of God, when we, when we fight, we can get crazy. Like, real crazy. I was watching this Twitter feed where these Christians were arguing about something. Um, I don't know. They were just, I don't even remember what it exactly was about. Just to tell you how trivial it was. But they were arguing with each other. And, like, at first it was, like, debate, you know, which was okay. It was healthy. And then it got, like, you know, name-calling. And I'm like, oh, dude, this is, this is wild. And then it got to, well, where you live. Oh, I'll tell you where I live. And this dude posts his, like, address. And I was like, bro, that's, that's dangerous, man. People show up at your house and whatnot. And the guy's like, well, I live, like, two hours from you. I'm on my way. And I'm like, is this serious? Is this? I expect, like, you know, someone to come up, like, with a smiley face and be like, ha-ha, you're on Candid Cyber or something. I don't know. Right? And, and like, then it started getting creepy because it was, like, um, 45 minutes away. Um... 30 minutes away, um, 10 minutes away, where you at? Where you at? We can get crazy when we fight in a church. Churches have split over arguments and fights. Like, what do we do with that? What do you do when your neighbor is a follower of Jesus and you want to choke slam him? I had this clip, a video clip I want to show you. It's a Randy, I'm a W, I'm, I'm a geek, I'm sorry. I watch WWE Raw on Monday nights. Um, actually, uh, I was doing it with my wife, and then I realized my daughter was into it, and then, like, uh, it became, like, a father and daughter thing, and we, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but there's this guy named Randy Orton, and, uh, oh, yes, oh, God, I am not alone. Praise the Lord. Anyway, just imagine this big buff guy. And uh, he, like, stalks, like, the person he's beating up. And then out of nowhere, he just jumps in the air and grabs them by the neck and just, like, and it's called an RKO. Sometimes I want to RKO other Christians. I do. Stop looking at me, judging me with them judging eyes. You act like you've never wanted to either. Yes. Sometimes I want to RKO other Christians. But what, how do, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I mean, last week I saw, I said that we were on a journey and that um, Jesus has us on his journey. And on his journey, we are learning to walk intimately with Jesus. 
This idea that he pursues us um, with his love. And, and, and as we walk with him and become intimate with him, we get to know him. He, and he shows how much he knows us, right? He gives us uh, our, our identity, that we are loved, and that we are original masterpieces, wonderfully made by him. But on his journey, there's not only Jesus, there's siblings. They're called the family of God. And guess what? Look at your neighbor. Go ahead. Say hi, Sibby. Hi. Some of you looked, you didn't even say it. You just looked at them. And, mm, uh, okay. <laughs> There's this family of God. And man, dude, and whenever, do you notice whenever you put people together, you realize something? I was correct last week when I said out of 7 billion people on this planet, plus or minus, whatever, I'm not accurate. I, I know it's around 7 or 8 billion, but like, you know, it's, it's just a lot of people. There's only one you, which means you have your opinion and your thoughts and your way of living. But guess what? The person beside you may not actually agree with everything that you think. They may, they may not live the way that you live. They may not walk the way that you walk. You may think mornings are great. <laughs> Other people may not agree with you. And they're in your family. And when that happens, like, you begin to clash and sparks fly, right? Like, you can get downright nasty in the church sometimes. Downright nasty. Well, what do we do with that? I believe that Jesus speaks to us on how we should approach conflict with other believers, with our family of God. I believe that he presses into it. And I, I think he, in John chapter 13, there's this really sweet story. And in it, I think we can find the starting point of which you and I should approach conflict with. I believe that Jesus shows us how to really love each other. I mean, not, not just say it, not just be like, I love you, brother. Sister and Christ, you're awesome. Not that, no. But to really mean like, dude, despite, despite our, I love you. I love you. What does that really mean? And how do we really, really walk it out? So if you have a Bible, turn with me. John chapter 13, right? Verse 34. If you don't, uh, I have it on, well, I don't have it on screen. Give it up for our sound people and audio visual people. Thank you. Appreciate you. It's up on the screen. John chapter 13, verse 34. This is from the NIV. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's very interesting that Jesus says there's a lot of stuff going on around this um, this talk that Jesus is having with his disciples. First of all, uh, we're going to go through it. There's an argument that happens right before dinner that Jesus brings his disciples to. There's an argument that happens. And during this dinner, a couple of things happen. Um, Jesus uh, does some weird, like, thing for his disciples that was just not customary back then. And also, Jesus starts talking about one of them betraying him. And then also, Jesus is charged... He is charged as a felon, like after this dinner. There's a lot of things swirling around this dinner. What can we learn? A couple of things. Let's start with this. What does Jesus mean by love each other? What does he mean by love? 
You know, in the Webster's Dictionary, I love Webster. He's been good to me. He tells me and shares with me things like what a word means. And in this, in the Webster's Dictionary, there are over 28 different definitions for the word love. Over 28. Other things like maybe four or five. But over 28. Now, I'm not just talking about like, you know, you read down and it's the same thing over and over. I'm talking like 20, over 28 different definitions. And they range from sexual to affection. I mean, I say, I love Cocoa Pebbles. I eat them all the time. I love them. They're amazing. But the same word that I use for something that I ingest and will leave my body later, I look at my wife and use and say, I love you, sweetheart. I love you. That's my wife on the front row with my daughter. That's Aaliyah, my daughter, the oldest one. My blondie is my wife. <laughs> like, right? Know what it tells me? We have a very hard time defining the word love. A very hard time defining it. But Paul, like, there are actually, there's different types of love. But Paul, he centers in on the word love. And this is how he describes it in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 as he's writing to the church of Corinth. He says this, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. This is the message version, by the way. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. You see, he's painting this picture of love. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, and I'm really good at that. Like, I'd be like, if you did me wrong, I'll pull it up. I can just, bro, back on July 10th, 2006, this is what you said and what you did, what you were wearing, and what your breath smelled like. I remember. (laughs) Anyone else like that? You get good at... Just telling people. Yeah, okay. It doesn't keep towards sins of others. It doesn't rebel with others, uh, when others grovel. It takes pleasure in flowering the truth. It puts up with anything. Trust God always. Always looking for the best. Never looks back. But keeps going to the end. And in this description that Paul, like Paul learned about love from God. And here's Jesus. He's saying, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. People will know. People will know about us. If you love one another. And he's like, if you're going to love, be like this. Look, followers of Jesus, family of God, be patient with one another. Offer kindness to each other. Don't be envious of each other. Don't act superior to each other. And he goes on and on and on. And in my head, I'm thinking... Look, I want to follow Jesus. I do. I want to follow you, Jesus. And that's all cool, like some polar bears' toenails, but why? Why should I do this? Why should I do this when other Christians spit in my face by what they say and what they do? Why, Jesus? Why should I do this when that Christian brother or sister of mine keeps on offending me? Why? Why, when it rubs me the wrong way, why? I have a couple of answers for that. The first one is, because he said so. Because he said so. But I have kids. 
I understand. Just because mom and dad say so doesn't really give it like good footing and foundation. I get it. And so Jesus, knowing that, he, I, I love him, he gives us reasons why we should, we should love one another, why we should do this instead of joining into the offense. And here it is, the first one. It kills rivalry and gives birth to unity. In verse 3 of, um, of chapter 13, John chapter 13, Jesus, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the trowel, towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You know, back in those days, um, uh, there would be a servant at the door of the party. And the servant's job was to take off your crusty sandals and to wash them crusty feet. Like, I'm nasty. Now, can you imagine? They're walking and the disciples, they were arguing who was the greatest among them. And they're walking, no, no, I am. And Luke's like, nah, bro, I'm the physician, I am. John's like, I'm the beloved, I am. And Jesus is walking with them. And look, they didn't have Nikes. They didn't have Adidas or Sacconis. They had sandals. And they walked for miles. It wasn't like they hopped in a Honda Odyssey or their Scion XB or their BMW. Uh, <laughs> They, no, they walked everywhere when it rained, when it was dusty. They stepped through animal feces. They would walk and they're walking to this party and they get to the door and they're arguing over who is the greatest. They're having this rivalry among themselves. They walk in and there's no servant. They sit down and eat a meal and Jesus, their master, the one they hold up high, gets up from the table. He takes off his outer robing. He gets some water in, in, a, in a towel, and he takes off the sandals, those nasty crusts. I can't stand feet. I'm really, I'm weird about my own feet. Like, I think we should just keep them covered all the time because they get weird, like demonic claws coming at you. I just, they get weird. Feet are weird. But can you imagine their feet? Jesus takes off their crusty sandals. And he gets down on his knees. And he picks up their nasty, smelly feet. Dirty as all get out. And he cleans them. Do you get the picture? Can you see it? Who's the greatest among us? Me. I am. I am. And the greatest gets really low. When we love one another, it kills all rivalry. Can you imagine the faces of the disciples as Jesus did? Do you think they were t thinking about rivalry at that point? No. Jesus is about unity. He's about us coming together because when we come together, oh, man. Napoleon, when he was... Um, coming from a conquest, they passed by what is now China, and as he was going by, he looked at his shipmates, and he was like, shh, quiet. Quiet. 
what's wrong with him? He said, if these people would actually, if these people would actually come together and gather their resources, they would be one of the greatest unstoppable forces ever. When people get united, man, oh, wow. Imagine if the church got united. Can you imagine what we can accomplish when we stop fighting with each other? We get unified? Oh, man, the world will see a community that will rise and would be amazing. We would be unstoppable. Not for our name's sake, because when we get it right, we eventually see it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Tell me his kingdom wouldn't shine in this world bright. But we got to love each other. And when we love each other, it kills rivalry and it brings unity. Let me move on. I'm sorry. I got 20. All right, okay, I'm moving on. It reveals to the world a different community, right? It shows that Jesus is real and that we actually do follow him. When we kill rivalry amongst ourselves, when we, when we show a different uh, community, it shows to the rest of the world that Jesus is actually real. The gospel that we claim to be a changing agent in our lives is actually real. And guess what? Real people can follow him. Real people can follow him. And lastly, the gospel has a clear path to go forward. Clear path. So how do we do this? How do we live like this? Because that all sounds noble. It really does. It sounds like the good Christian thing to do. But practically, how do we do that? I think Jesus clearly presses out by how he was walking and living with his disciples. The first thing I think that he shows us is that we need to remember the mission. In John chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus says, I'm not referring to all of you. And this is at the dinner. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture who shared my bread. He who shares my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I, I, I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to his disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in a dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said these things to him. You know, it was customary in those days that when you had a big dinner party, you would bring people in and you have a guest of honor. And you would give that guest of honor like a treat, a delicacy. Like something like dipping bread in the wine. And so when Jesus dipped the bread in the wine, he gave it to Judas. It wasn't just a cool thing to do. It was like very special because to everyone in the room, it communicated this person right here. This is my friend. But to Judas, because Jesus just let him in to the knowledge that he knew exactly what he was up to and what he was about to do to him. It said to Judas, I love you. And there's still hope for you. How does Jesus do that? How does he do that? In the midst of um, a crazy argument with his disciples. I mean, they spent like three and a half years with him. 
And they're still arguing over who's the best? Can you imagine? Like, how does he do that in the midst of that? And also, in the midst of Judas acting like everything is cool. I'm good. I love Jesus. He's my homeboy. You know how Jesus did that? Because he remembered the mission. He remembered the mission. He was never sidetracked. He knew what he was there for. His father sent him to this earth to live this life, to walk among us, to show us what kingdom living is about, and also to show us the great and awesome, lavish love of Jesus. I mean, he, dude, he showed it to us. And then he was supposed to die on a cross. Come back to life so that you and I can have a relationship with him. He never forgot the mission. And even when his disciples were arguing over something trivial, even when one of his friends was about to betray him, he kept going. You want to know how we in the church, you want to know how we can live this out? We can remember the mission. When the Catholics and the Lutherans and the Protestants and the Evangelicals and the Charismatics and the, and the Pentecostals and the non-denominational and the denominational, when the church down the street and the church across the lake and we all just want to kill each other. <laughs> we can remember the mission. We were put on this earth to bring glory to God. We were put on this earth to bring glory to God. And, and despite our differences, we got to love each other. Because what we do and what we say can either bring glory to God or it cannot. Or it cannot. Right? Oh, dude, some of you looking at me like you want to hurt me. Don't, don't do it. All right, I'm moving on. All right. Secondly, Jesus reminds us to allow him to wash our hearts. In, in John chapter 13, verse 5, it says, After that, he poured water in the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm going to do, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. I mean, it's interesting, right? He's washing his feet. But what Jesus was doing was he was showing his disciples what he was doing spiritually. What he was doing physically, he was doing spiritually inside them. He was washing them. Why? So that they can be a part with him. Now, it's hard to let God examine our hearts, isn't it? It's hard to be vulnerable with God. Why? Because we know what's in our hearts. Come on, man. We know. We know what's in our hearts. Sometimes we hold it back from God. We're like, no, but Jesus is like, no. You don't understand. If you don't let me wash your heart continually, daily, let me wash your heart. You all of a sudden, you stop acting like how I want you to act. Your motives get all jumbled. Give me your heart. Give it to me. Let me examine it. Let me wash it. You know, I, huh, I'm going to tell on myself, but <laughs> so we were invited to this Christian concert, my wife, kids, and I, and uh, <laughs> one of my triggers is when a uh, fellow follower of Jesus alienates somebody away from Jesus. Oh, it makes me mad. It gets me angry. And I'm sitting there, my wife enjoying a concert with my kids, and 
someone said something and I was just like, that's not, that's not right. And then the artist gets up there and they're doing their thing and then the artist says something and I'm like, wait a minute. How about if someone is going through that? You over here, you. And then the last guy gets up and he is preaching away. He's just going at it. And uh, I think it was towards the end, he said something like, calling people forward and people weren't responding the way he wanted to. Like, he said something like, you know, it's okay. I got something better to do tonight, and God has something better to do tonight, but he's here. And, I, dude, you want to see a five-foot-four black man turn into a six-foot-tall dude with, like, ninja swords ready to go? I was like, oh, really? And I'm pacing. This whole time, my wife is kind of just like looking at me, and she's seeing me fidget. I get fidgety when I get angry and whatnot, and I'm just like fixing my shirt and my hat. I'm crumpling it and whatnot, and she's like, just relax, babe. It's not that big of a deal. Not relax. And by this time, I'm livid, and she's doing the pat thing. Does anybody's spouse do the pat thing? <laughs> like they pat you like you a dog or a cat or something like, dear, dear, it's okay. It's all right. And I was just like in my head and out loud. I'm just like, okay, Mr. Christian. Well, does God love me? Or does he like treat me like I'm just something to fiddle with every once in a while? If he just has something better to do. And I, I mean, I went, mm, just, eh. and I'm just talking and yelling. I'm looking at my, and then he said, and, and I'm going at it. And like, she's patting me. And finally, I was like, I'll be right back. And I left. I walked outside and I was just, again, just sitting there just like, I can't believe these Christians are in. Oh, man, I'm going to RKO that fool. I mean, I was just angry. How dare you say that about God? He's not that way. Pushing people away from him. And I just felt God was like, give me your heart. Right there in that parking lot. Give me your heart. And I'm like, "Mm, No. I want to be angry and I want to be mad. I want to say these things because I want to go in there and tell, I want to grab that microphone and be like, stop listening to this idiot and hear the truth. God loves you. And I mean, I'm just indignant. God said, give me your heart. I felt like the Lord told me like, like not more in words, but just a sense of like, I work through everything. I mean, if God can speak through a donkey, I'm pretty sure he can work through this guy. And if he can work through this guy, I'm pretty sure he can work through this guy. And by the time I walked in, three people had given their lives to Christ. It's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. But it took a moment for me, man. I had gotten to a place where I was acting like I wasn't myself. My wife called me on it. And at one point, she, she was like, you're just saying things now just to pick at things. And that translates to me like, dude, stop acting like someone you're not. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. You know when Jesus examines us and he sees something that's off, he's like, nah, that's not who you really are. I'll fix that. This, this is more who you really are. Keep walking with that. But it only happens when we allow him to examine our hearts, Right? You fork, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm serious. Some of you are looking at me angry right now. Don't shoot the messenger. 
trying to live this out myself. All right? All right? And so examine our hearts. Jesus teaches us to humbly serve each other. In, in John chapter 13, 12, again at this party, when he finished washing the feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and he says, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. You really want to love somebody? Go ahead and serve them. You really want to love somebody? Some, serve someone you're in conflict with. You really want to love somebody? Serve a family member who you have conflict with. Serve. That's what Jesus says. He didn't say, go and tell them how wrong they are. He didn't say, go knock them out. He said, wash their feet. In other words, serve them like I serve them, right? We press for peace. He teaches us to press for peace. You know, Jesus could have busted Judas out at any time. I think later on when they're in the garden and Peter slices off that dude's ear and Jesus puts it back on. Wasn't that a weird scene? I thought that was weird. Like... Whatever, maybe that's normal for you, but like for me, it's not. But like, you know, Jesus said something interesting. He said, I could, I could call down legions of angels at any time I want to. I mean, he knew what Judas was up to, but he didn't bust him out. Instead, he, he did a really kind thing for him. He called him friend. He did a really kind thing for him. He said, there's hope for you. It's not over yet. That's peace, right? Peace when we want to offer anger and frustration, right? But yet, even though, with all that I just said, Jesus presses us to share the hard truth in love. You know, later on in chapter 13, um, uh, Jesus is like, where I go, you can't go. And Peter says in verse 37, he says, uh, he actually asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, you will, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. What a hard truth. I mean, Peter was a man's man, dude. Chopping people's ears off, walking on water with Jesus. I mean, that dude, he was like a superhero. But yeah, Jesus was like, truth is, Peter, honestly, even though you say you go all the way, you won't. You're going to disown me three times, man. Before this night's over, you're going to do it three times. Oh, man. You know what that tells me? It tells me that loving someone doesn't exclude the fact that we got to have some hard conversations with people. It doesn't exclude it. Matter of fact, this tells me that Jesus, in all his love, still shared truth. But you know how Jesus shared it? He shared it not with a sledgehammer. He didn't come at Peter like, ah, oh, Peter, you suck. <laughs> he didn't do that. Instead, he switched out the sledgehammer and he came with a physician's scalpel. You know how to use a physician's scalpel in a hospital? Very, very carefully. With such grace. And Jesus is saying, take all that. And surround it with an immense amount of love. Love.
because that's what changes things. Not your opinion, not your thoughts, not your frustration, but love. Love changes things. When I was younger and I first became a Christian, I, um, <laughs> I was still trying to get a hang of this Christianity thing. <laughs> and I was also learning how to be, you know, change from being a boy to learning to become a man. And when I was in school, I, I don't know, if I liked a girl, I'd grab her butt. I'd just walk by her and just slap her butt or grab her butt. And that's, I'm ashamed of that. The Lord took that shame and he did something. And this is how he changed me. I grabbed the butt of a girl one time and she did what I teach my daughters to do to any young man that dares to put their hands on him. She came back from left field. Hands, fingers wide open. And she smacked me in the face like the thunder of God. And then she took her finger and she put it like right here underneath my nose. And she was like, don't you ever put your hands on me again. And she walks away. And normally I'd be like, huh, all right. Hey, girl, what's up? And I just keep walking. But this time something happened here. I started hurting felt bad. I felt guilty like I did something wrong. And I went to my pastor and I told him what happened. And my pastor, he started laughing at me. <laughs> he was like, what are you laughing about? He was like, it's called a conviction of sin. God is trying to change you, man. Here's a hard truth. You, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. I mean, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he looked me in the eye, and he was laughing. But I'm laughing now, too. I was crying then because when I said it to him, I felt so guilty. He put his hand on my shoulder, and he's like, dude, you you just can't do that anymore. And the way he said it was, was so graceful, and it was candid, but it was real. It was real. This dude changed. He was like, man, you know, honestly, son, you know, Real men, we, we don't treat women like objects. That's God's princess, man. You lucky a slap is all you got. Like, you don't mess with God's, God's kids, man. He, he loves us. I mean, he, all of this started changing. But imagine if he came at me with like, oh, man, dude, you're never going to get this thing. Matter of fact, get out the church. Get out. I'm disgusted with you. I'm ashamed of you. Sledgehammer versus scalpel. The scalpel, you can get things done with that. The sledgehammer, you just ruin everything. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that in every matter that you teach us how to live. Thank you that you're here right now. And we just want to be open to respond to whatever you're doing in our hearts with this message. Jesus, uh, I just pray if there's anyone in this place and they've been turned away from Christianity because of how Christians act and treat each other and treat people even outside of the family of God. I pray that you connect with us 
who are that in that spot. And I pray that through this message that you, you've been connecting and that they see a, a real Jesus. Help us to see a real family of God. God, I pray for those who have been hurt by other Christians in the past and have wounded them. I pray you come and that you heal and that you set us free. God, for those of us who are like, man, I, I just see places in my life right here where I can grow from this message. God, give us the ability to be vulnerable with you and to be open to you in what you say and what you want to do and how you want to bring growth in our lives. God, for those of us who are dealing with conflict with other Christians, God, help us to invite you. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to the message. Um, I pray that this week that God will just walk with you and help this message become practical. But if you are feeling like a sense that you want prayer, in a moment after worship, we'll have that. All right? Let's stand and worship the Lord together. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.